Welcome back to How to Tickle Yourself. I am your host, Duff McDonald, along with my co-host, Matt McButter. We have a very special guest for you this week, one of the best people in the whole wide world. I am not exaggerating. And because of that fact, I'm going to try and blow her mind and I'm maybe even make her cry when she hears what the rest of us feel about her in this intro. I met Jen Stone at the wedding of Will Arnett and Amy Poehler almost 20 years ago. There were a bunch of celebrities there. And not wanting to feel like a hanger-on at the edge of the celebrity scrum on the side of the cocktail hour, I was actually just hanging out by the shrimp platter. I can't remember whether I spoke to Jen or her husband Jonathan first, but once we got talking, we became fast friends. I lost touch with them for a little bit during some trying times of my own life, but about six years ago, I got a call from Jonathan saying he thought he'd just bought a house near me in Hurley. He was right. It's on the bottom of the mountain that Joey and I live on. And since that time, I've spent as much time as possible as I can with these two pieces of awesome. Jen is the co-founder of Stone Kelly Events, which she runs with her brother-in-law, Marco Olmi. Stop what you are doing right now. Go to stonekelly.com or check them out on Instagram. For 25 plus years, they and their team of designers, artists, craftspeople have created thousands of elaborate city, country, and destination weddings, elegant dinner parties, award shows, or fundraising galas. There's no event too big or too small. Their creations will blow your mind. And it's not just them either. Marco's wife, Ray, works at Stone Kelly, as does Jen's daughter, Sophie. Which brings me to the main point about Jen. Jen is one of those people who treats everything and everyone as if they were her own family. Everything really is Brahmin, people. We'll get back to John later when we finally convince him to join us on this show. But... Joey and I have been to Jen's house for the last three Thanksgivings with their entire extended family. And you know what? It, let me tell you something. When you see her, it feels like home. You'd be hard-pressed to find someone who throws off the kind of warmth and kindness of Jen Stone. I have said on more than one occasion that I want my marriage to be like hers when I grow up. <laughs> Jen is a literal ray of sunshine. I love her. Welcome to the show, friend. It's great to see you. Ooh, I'm a little McClimped. Thank you. Thanks, Dove. Hey, Matt. After present moment, traveling town to town. Mystery of the motion right here, right now. Right here, right now. Whoa, right here, right now. So, uh, I have a question where that I've never actually asked you before. You have a giant uh, um, events business where you do mostly weddings. 
You are one of the most chill people I think I've ever known. How is it that you are one of the most chill people that I've ever known while running a business that is almost by definition a logistical nightmare? How do you keep your shit together? That is a good question. I asked myself, you know, Saturday morning game day face, like you got this. Um, <laughs> I just love what I do. I think if you love what you do, you deal with each obstacle as a, you know, don't stand in my way or else I might lose this. Is this actually even real scenario that I've got? So um, yeah, there's, there's weekly, um, panic sometimes, uh, you know, just looking at the board, figuring out the logistics. Most of that has to do with like parking in New York City and getting in the elevator before anybody else. But most of the time it's like, you know what you're going to do and you plan for it. You have, you know, most importantly, a team uh, of people you love to be around and not just even people related to, to me, but we've got some great people that sort of have been here for a long time and they care. And when they're done with making something beautiful, they care, you know, about the next one. And they're, they're excited that they've done something great. And so you feel you're in good hands. So the panic goes away a little and then it comes back again. <laughs> so how does, uh, how does uh, your floral designs, if people will go look at them again at stonekelly.com or on Instagram, people, they're, they're kind of mind blowing. Uh, in complexity and breadth and what have you. Do, do you start by saying something like, let's use lilacs, and then it goes from there? What ha like, how do you get from, uh, all right, let's do this thing, to suddenly I'm looking at like walking down under a hallway of beautiful hanging flowers? How does it go from beginning to end? I usually start by uh, I'm sitting hopefully in person, sometimes in Zoom with a bride. And I say, how do you see this day? How do you, when you close your eyes and you've looked on Pinterest and Instagram and you've been to other people's weddings and, you know, you, what impression do you want to make? And what, what does the day look like to you? Do you see yourself walking through a field of wildflowers? Do you see yourself coming down a really formal stairway in the Ritz? Do you see yourself dancing like crazy and you don't care if your hair is like crazy or do you see yourself in all the pictures looking like Audrey Hepburn? Like what, is, what does it look like to you? Because if I throw out like, I love wildflowers and feel the daisies, which I do love to every bride, they're going to, especially in New York city, 50% um, of the time it's, it's a miss, you know? So once they say usually three or four adjectives, the key buzzwords, you know, simple, elegant, or overwhelmingly gorgeous, or, not too <laughs> understated, but not too over. You know, they can. It can even be confusing to them, which it usually is, because they see so many things they like. I can kind of weed through it, and then I start, you know, imagining how I would like it in that venue. Because in the end, it's I have to be proud of it to you know put it out there for people. And even if the mother and the daughter are like two different images and they're fighting all the time, I have to say, well, what? How can we blend these people and? blend this venue and then put my taste in it. Hmm. Uh, are there, are there sort of fashion flower, floral fashion trends too, that kind of come in and out because I got yeah. married in 2001 and we like our kind of main, main flower, I guess that was on the, you know, the centerpieces and all that kind of stuff. 
Sorry, you know, with apologies to my wife, Deb, I didn't pay that much attention to some of this stuff. <laughs> and it was also a long time ago. It was 20 years ago. But um, but I do remember, and she, you know, she held these, uh, a thing of, they were called ca- calla lilies oh, or some really? kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then she thought that she noticed, like, recently, like, in the last couple of years, starting to see them more, like, in, mm-hmm. you know, she's always flipping through magazines and stuff. So she right. thought that maybe it had gone through a bit of a 20 year cycle and now yeah. like, Oh, calla lilies are super in again. Or, yeah. It's actually completely true. I mean, nowadays there's obviously the, the color of the year that everybody announces. There's that. that oh yeah. Can, who, who can, announces that? Who announces the color of the year? That person is, I'd like to meet the person that's like over dinner. Like I think mustard is a good one. Or, or you know, now it's <laughs> periwinkle. A couple of years ago it was periwinkle and everybody wanted periwinkle and you couldn't buy a blue paint. You know, to save the day. But it was, um, you know, when I started, I guess it was 19, well, when I started in New York City in 92, uh, or 93, sorry, I um, I was working for a lot of different people and everything was like, how many flowers could you cram in the vat? Like, no greens, make it touch, you know, everything sculptural, touch each other, no space, uh, almost like it wasn't a flower, like it was a painting, but it was a it was a modern painting and it was a clean glass and all the adjectives were clean and, and concise and dramatic because it was expensive because it was so many, you know, now it's, uh, I'm going to call it the Brooklyn school in a way. Like, um, there was a couple really wonderful designers that sort of took it back to this wispy, like, look at this flower, if you get it right. And look at this, flower, which was weirdly a lot harder uh, in the long run, because, you know, if you were transporting, which is 65% of the businesses, you can make it and it's beautiful. And the next thing you know, you put it in a van, you put it in a, an elevator, you drag it across the room, someone answers their phone and bumps into it. And then you're like, shit, that one little beautiful uh, cosmos, it just like bit the dust and it's bending out, you know, now we have to start over. So there's a lot of um, artistry. That's a trend right now. But Really, it's an interesting thing that we didn't have Pinterest or even Instagram. We had Martha Stewart uh, mm. weddings, and we had Martha Stewart and Darcy Miller and a lot of really influential people that would make these beautiful images. Um, and brides would rip them out like tear sheets and carry them around in this file, right? And the file, uh, sometimes it included beautiful things like Veranda Magazine or Southern Accents. and you know, and I would tell brides, why don't you just look all over the place? Look on a billboard, look in the architectural digest, look in a illustrated kids novel, like anything that you're seeing as visual. Um, we couldn't take screenshots back then, but it was, you know, tear sheets or you would go to magazine stores and stand for hours and like look at British magazines so you didn't have to buy them. You know, like I'm trying to mm-hmm. try figure out what, what was worth getting. And, um, and so now it's, it's everyone seeing everything. It's, it's mm-hmm. a visual just blitzkrieg and you can go to bed at night we're just like <laughs> did i see everything because you know, i try and do is is embrace it and have the brides do a little homework before they come in and say you know just get your head in the uh what do i like or don't like thing and it can be i love colored glass i love wallpaper i love these flowers i you know i went to this wedding and don't like this don't like is also important mm-hmm mm-hmm like any design, I guess, right? It's, you don't just yeah. want the likes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. What, what about, I have another question, you know, like I've, I think I've seen this in movies, but I've never actually seen it in an actual wedding. It's when people spread the petals. 
Right? Oh. Do people ask for that? It's like I want to walk across like the petals, or or um, maybe have have people throwing them out of baskets or something like that. Is, yeah, that, a th- is that a thing? Has, um, throwing has become less popular because of the eco. You know, could it be the birds or? Um, then I did hear a horrible story once where a bride asked for a carpet of red. And then she sued a friend of mine, a florist in Nantucket, who who actually gave up the business after this. <laughs> she was like, "I," because she had to settle, and the bride had asked for it, a uh, red petal aisle, and it stained the bottom of her dress. And oh my god! She was oh she my was god! It's so crazy. I did the most. I think the best thing I ever did, aisle wise, was have about thirty five bags of petals in the middle of the woods and everybody else was setting up the tent or the, and this was the last thing that had to be done and it was leading towards a stump and on the stump was the bride's grandmother's veil it just was like covering it and she had passed um and we did a like a surat painting so i did a little of this color a little of this color and i painted this petal aisle all the way down with all my bags and no one was around. I kept looking around like, did anyone see that? (laughs) I was just so like excited about it and proud of it. And, and it was really pretty to see her walk down it, but usually people don't understand. They think we just go in the back, find the garbage petals and put them in a thing and it's free. It's like, you have to get a lot of flowers and rip their heads off. And it's, it's anti, um, you know, a lot of things, but it's, it's, it's beautiful. Okay. So, one of the most beautiful things I see on a regular basis are your Instagram photos outside of your kitchen window. Uh, it's actually inside my kitchen window. Sorry, in no, inside, but like looking okay. out the window. Oh, right. uh, in Stone Ridge, is that where you guys live? Is it Stone Ridge? Yeah. And yeah. so they're seasonal and they're also colored. So, so what is that thing for you? It's like a... So- it's like my, what do they call that when you, uh, it's, it's meditational for me, for sure. And it's this, it's this um, thing I do to try and relax the minute I get upstate. Because sometimes up until pe- the pandemic, I was trying to go like Saturday nights or late or early, early Sunday morning. And I would have sometimes just the day or a day and a night and come back early. And I, I wanted to be able to see the difference in the seasons as closely as possible. And I also collect, I'm a hoarder. So I collect lots of little bottles and I love glass and rocks and moss and sticks. And so I started making them with only things. It's, it's pretty much, I'd say 90% of them are just stuff I have in the, in the yard. So that way I remember, Oh, it's daffodil season. So I've got daffodils, but I also have ferns and pieces of um, this weed that's called dock and pieces of, hydrangea that are coming in that are still buds or whatever it was it had to be in the yard it, whether it was my garden which i've always been neglecting or my um my woods which i love so that's what those are once in a while i'll be somewhere in the car coming back from a job and i'll have some flowers left over and i'll put a few like ginormous peonies in the window or something that's you know i can't not put up there but it, it's pretty much just what's in the garden hmm. that's and so what cool. about and what about um the pebbles i i uh got <laughs> to your upstairs bathroom not <sighs> that long ago um after having visited your house many times and saw one of the world's greatest little pebble collections what's going on up there 
there is uh, so many more layers in the bathroom dump. I'm embarrassed. Um, and I started to separate and categorize. That was like, these pebbles are from Ireland. These pebbles are from upstate. These pebbles are from, you know, at different places, Jerusalem. And uh, I'll just give you a little, like, I don't know if you can see this. This is just <laughs> yeah. sitting there. Yeah, we can. Um, and then you might be able to see under there. Those are separated already. Um, there's a lot of, I think it's just therapeutic. You know, these happen to be the big bad boys that are heavy. They can block the door when the window's coming open. So, um, but I, I always pick up things that are smooth, smooth stones, whether they're, um, look at this. You see this thing? Like that. Um, things that look like eggs, my favorite. What I'm going to do with them, I don't know. I'm going <laughs> to photograph them on Something. different things. I used to think I'd glue them down, but I'm too attached to them to stick somewhere. <laughs> I, are you are you familiar? I think what uh, Andy Goldsworthy, you know yes. the artist? Yeah, he's my man. He's my god. I, uh, I was thinking. I mean, it's reminiscent of that, right? It's just finding stuff in nature to use as yeah. your as your material and then i i think the the cool thing if I, if i recall about about goldsworthy is he also it's you know it's sort of made for the passage of time right so that like the right. artwork changes over the course of maybe the season or when it rains or something like that which and is it really cool away. rocks yeah. are a little more permanent but he also does things like leaves painted with a pigment and then uh, years and years ago, I went to the Nantucket Island School of Design and the Arts. It was NISDA, which I think is a play on RISDA. Um, but yeah. they, um, I did some courses there in the summer to get credit, and they made us take something called the core course. And I wanted to take photography, but they made us take that. And I never forgot that, actually, and because they had visiting artists like Michelle Stewart who make paper out of the dirt around the corner or the dirt on site somewhere, and then you wait until the waves come in and ruin the paper and, you know, um, have a little celebration or a lunch while it gets ruined. It's, it's part of the happening. Yeah. So that was really, I think that those days are less popular now, but, um, mm -hmm. it was, it was, you know, the impermanence of beauty. Yeah. Well, you have to photograph it, right? That's the only yeah. way it gets preserved. It's that's right. It's a, or that's part of it. Talk yeah. to us about, uh, McKittrick. Uh, if I am uh, not incorrect, you have had a heavy hand in designing the interiors at the McKittrick Hotel, and um, that's that's not the same as flowers. Am I right about that? Well, I mean, yes, no, yes, and no. Um, I would be. We don't want to take credit from other people, but right. But, I will say that there's two women that take full credit. Their names are Livy and B, and I won't give their full names, but because I. I don't want to get them wrong and I don't, you know, I haven't seen them in a while, but they have, they are the full designers uh, under punch drunk. But I helped with things like the witches studio wall and all the textural, like natural stuff in the beginning. And then I moved to, uh, at this current time, I do the garden of Gallo Green, which is incredible. Um, Matt, in Matt, have you seen Gallo Green? No. The rooftop at the McKittrick. It's the greatest outdoor restaurant space in New York city. Jesus Christ. Come on. Was it there really 20 is. years ago? I uh, know. <laughs> no, 13. 13 but <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I'll check it out when I'm there next for sure. The plants are beautiful that we do and they change all the time. And right now we, uh, we are working in like a yurt and three little yurts and one big grand yurt. It's supposed to feel like a hut. Um, 
the original designers had made a cabin and um, it was morphed into this fun hut where, you know, it's skis and uh, weird things hanging in the ceiling and the, the largest mistletoe ball to kiss under and things like that. But it's, um, and it's an eclectic mix of like inside outside, um, which is what the vibe of a yurt, I guess, is anyways, a cozy spot to be. And then, um, you know, it gets holidayized for different holidays. So there was Christmas and there'll be Valentine's Day. There'll, um, there'll be some other stuff in the spring. And then it will open up in April as the, the yurts go away and the big garden comes. And it's exciting. So that's fine. Well, one, one of the greatest things about McKittrick that you guys do is the experimentation, right? It's like a rolling piece of experimentation. There's so many people in their team and the creativity there just developing new themes and parties. And I mean, I have really nothing to do with that, but uh, I accented here and there with, you know, different floral needs and plant needs. And, and it's exciting to see these people like bounce ideas off each other and work them into the play and have some standalone events too that are great. So that's, it's been fun to see it morph and to be a part of it. Right. And, uh, Possibility it's, is everything. It it's really, everything. Yeah, it's everything. It's true. Okay, so uh, we only got a couple more questions here for you, Jen. Uh, I'm going to ask you about family because I have never been i I've never interacted with or been near a family that fe feels so. It's almost like a perfectly executed family to me, right? <laughs> it may not be that way on the inside, but it seems that way on the outside, especially as a guest. How do what do you think about family as a mom? as a wife, like, what is it? What do you think when you think of family? I think it's the most important thing there is. Personally, I think that is your backbone to go forth. Um, my parents, my grandparents, my, even my extended, my cousins, uh, my in-laws, my, um, and then there are friends that are family, which is you guys. Um, and the memories of interacting friends and family and making memories. But what I love about our home, and I hope it gets even more and more so over the years, that is that it's like little nuggets on a bigger spot and that it feels like a compound of, you know, not a compound in like a, you know, fancy pants way, but like a, like everybody has their own little private moments. And then we come together for these meals um, or games or movies or, um, uh, celebrations um even tragedies you know things that that we need each other for we are we're not on top of each other but we're uh we're around each other a lot we're, we're at the happiest uh i know the five of us of my original core and then the four of us in my immediate family now and my um it, when we're together like when we when we see each other so it's it's always really fun to um to have those celebrations like thanksgiving or whatever but i more than that, um, I guess it has extended into working and stuff. So that's, it's, it has its challenges. There's no doubt, you know, there's, um, because everybody um, peels off more layers, I think, than if it was just, if there wasn't a stake so high as forever with your family. So if you really <laughs> want to say something, you have to say it and know it's going to, it's like printed there forever. Um, but I, I give my parents a lot of credit, you know, and they, haven't done it without bumps in the road. That's for sure. But it's, um, it's fun. Okay. I've so also, I've seen, I've seen 
I mean, at least one dog and one cat come in and out of the frame. So I think yeah, you've got yeah. a few a few furry members of the family as well. Is there's, that <laughs> there's like a cat fight going on? I got two cats. I got this dog, and I've got three pet mice girls. All right. So so here's what <laughs> awesome. I want to close with. Uh, both you and John, um, mm-hmm. uh, and in combination, uh, you uh, professionally you both throw parties separately. Right. What you basically do, each of you, mm-hmm. is throw different kinds of parties. But right. uh, when you come together, you also uh, throw parties yourselves. And right. for for those of us who uh, maybe don't have the confidence or the uh, experience or what have you, if someone wanted to throw a party for call it 20, 30, 40 people. And they're like, I don't even know what to do here. You, you, like, if I could ask anyone, it would be you. (laughs) And what is it that you would tell a guest or a listener here who is thinking, I I would love to throw a party, but I'm, I don't even know what to hang my like anxiety on here. What do they need to do? If you're going to throw a party for 20 of your favorite, your most favorite people, how do they do that? Um, Now, that's something that it's not effortless, that's for sure. But I will say, if you make people feel comfortable, I think, like when they arrive, make them bring something that they do well, like you bring kombucha, another person brings dessert, you know, have them be a part of it if they can, you know, it's then they're invested and they're excited and uh, make it as casual as it can be with, but feeling special. So people like to come to something special. They don't necessarily want to have like a fashion show with a bunch of people they don't know. They get nervous, but you know, I think it's always fun to have, you know, you can throw a little bit, not a, not a theme, but like a, you know, you know, it's going to be, there's going to be a quirky side to it, but it's a well thought out detail. And then when you do your table, the table is where everything comes together. So you want to think about it. You know, I like to put personal details on the table, things that mean something to me. I like to do stuff from the yard. I like to do things from, a, you know, from the, the area that we live in. And, you know, and I like to involve people in setting that. So as many people as that are going to the event can be there for getting ready. You know, whether they're even if they're not cooking, they might be helping out. You know, can you help clean this area? My this year, my father helped sew these drapes to keep the cold out of the back of the barn. Um, someone else was like, if someone asks you and they're coming to the party, can I help you in any way? Give them something to do. That way, when they arrive, they're excited because they are arriving with a purpose and they're not just like nervous and like, hey, you know, yeah, can you pick up ice cream on the way? And we ran out of ice and oh, you know, that kind of thing. Can you so, give a 20 minute, can you give a 20 minute speech, um, you know, singing my praises? <laughs> Sorry. Just, I was just thinking, what's no, the worst thing you could ask someone to do? No, what? but the main <laughs> point is. Oh, can you is, give a 20 minute speech singing my praises? Yeah. You're going to arrive and you do the toast. And I'll, I'll right. start it to me. You, no yeah. pressure. No pressure. Yeah. No, yeah, but it's a great yeah. point. Make everybody yeah. feel like they're part of it. Invested right? in it. As opposed to not being an other they're part of the thing they're itself. They're part of it. Yeah. I mean, they don't but, want to show up. You know, everybody wants to show up and feel like they're special, you know? So it's, yeah. all the guests have something. And, and then I also think it's really important to seat people. 
not just let people just find a spot. And it doesn't have to be even well, like the last party I went to, I, we had the idea because it was a really like, well, if I, you know, if it's a birthday, it's tough. Who's closest to that person? Put names in a hat and put numbers at the places to sit. And then they just pick out a name and find their number. Like, so I picked out number 16 and John actually picked out number 17 and we were next to each other. And I was like, oh, we're together. But it could be that we were at different tables, you know? So if you, if you don't let people flounder and feel like anxious about anything, no, everybody will let their, their guard down and it's more fun. Cool. Cool. What about, what about the music? I mean, I'm bad at that. My husband's great at it, but the music is key. I think music and um, lighting are the two biggest things. Um, You know, you can put like shoes on a, table for a centerpiece and if they're if they're well lit they might look good or if you could put gorgeous flowers and if you can't see them they look like shit but i'd say a lot of candles a lot of good lighting and music that's um bob dylan uh, you know bob dylan of course <laughs> but just even, if it's not too technical like someone can always like reach in and change it or and ask everybody you know at the table someone else jump in and do it you know that kind of thing but some may make it easy We've had Sonos dramas where it's like, oh, we can't get this. We don't have reception, you know? So it's like trying to figure out getting a record player was like the best thing. It's like, we just can put something on and mm. it's actually not digital, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, but, we got to connect you with our friends up here at the Royal Potato family who uh, release oh, yeah. a lot of the Woodstock records. <gasps> yeah. Oh, you want to be, you, you want them on your playlist? Yes, please. Yeah. We'll set that shit up. Kevin Calabro, sure. listen up. For sure. Jen Stone, you're the best person ever. <laughs> you made my day best ever today. I got to say, thank you for that. We love you. And guess what we're going to do after this? Matt and I are going to talk about uh, this discussion, right? Okay. Where we just rate you after the fact. But then <laughs> we're going to have a real, we're going to have a quick interview with Joey, the Sage yeah. of Sages about Jen Stone. So even if you don't normally listen to interviews that you've already done, you're going to have to listen to this one because you're going to have to listen to what the Sage of Sages says about you. He is. That is the best nickname for Joey ever. (laughs) (laughs) Sage of Sages. Thank you for joining us, Jen Stone. Listeners, StoneKellyEvents.com, StoneKellyEvents on Instagram. Check her out. If you've got a few dollars to spare, for a wedding, she might be your woman. Otherwise, you just want to know her because she's one of the greatest people of all time. Thank you, Jen. Uh, thanks, guys. See you later. Bye. Bye. Record. So that's Jen Stone. She, um, I wasn't kidding. Uh, I I have this idea that I might be able to perfect my marriage at one point. And if I do it, it will look like hers. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, um, is there such a thing though? You know, like family, sometimes from the outside, I mean, people obviously do sure. do well. And she, right. as you said, a perfectly executed family. Although when you said that, that made me think of the uh, Romanovs for a second. But um, no, the, a perfectly executed family. Um, sorry, that was a terrible, terrible joke. No, they're wonderful. Uh, 
They're wonderful. Yeah. Well, like, their yeah, their they, daughters um, are the sweetest things. And um, no, every time you go over there, you're like, oh my God, this is what my family should have felt like when I was a kid. <laughs> right? Um, but your family felt like that. You had a nicely executed family. No, I, no, no, I have know? no complaints about my family. Theirs is a superior family. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Sorry, mom. Didn't mean it. Pat. Okay. Duff so, doesn't know how good you're, how, what so, a good job so you did. So Jen uh, does the high-end um, events, floral events, et cetera, weddings beyond, uh, whereas John with his partner runs Immersive. Get, um, uh, the McKittrick Hotel and Sleep No More where there's wonderful immersive shows and music. The whole family is basically, they have been entertaining New York City for 30 years. It's astounding. And I love both of them. They're the sweetest people ever. All right, Duff, I've, I've got one for you. Yes. I mean, it just kind of came to me during the episode. Uh, in the true spirit of the old, the old school, I've got one for you. Okay. Which is a party, right? Like you think of, like when you're actually having a party, it's kind of like this group of people that has sort of like come together and is one party. It's like, oh, you know that if there's two parties next door to each other, it's like, oh, this party over here versus that party over there. It's kind of like the, you know, almost the legal definition of party, right? Like, Or I'm thinking party like separation, party. So you the group that you're looking at has been partayed from the things around it. Oh, Separation. I like to part. I like to partay. You like to partay. <laughs> uh, those guys throw great parties. Listeners. Sounds like it. Believe us. Okay. I've got one for you. Bobby Darren. What? When's he from the fifties? Sixties? Fifties. Fifties. I think originally carried on through the, 70s. So he's got this song called I'm Beginning to See the Light, which I'm hoping we either listen to or just listen to. And there's a line in it where he says, I've never seen rainbows in my wine. When I am bottling my kombucha, I have uh, bottles in the sink and I pull it out of the vat in like a two cup you know, kitchen measuring thing and pour it in. And when mm -hmm. I pour it, I see rainbows in it. Literally or figuratively? Literally. I see rainbows in my kombucha. So to Bobby Darren or to all the people who wanted to know that thought you've never seen rainbows, you can. It's possible to see rainbows in it. You just need to be working with the right materials. That, that refracts the light at a certain angle that you're looking at. Well, no, it contains magic. That's what we're saying. <laughs> All right. So as we said earlier, uh, uh, the Sage of Sages will have a lot to say about Jen Stone. So we should probably go hear about that now. We're back uh, with... Uh, the all-time record-setting uh, segment of this program. What would Joey do? 
Welcome back to the show, Joy. Thank you, Duff. I'm happy to be here. So today we're here to talk about uh, your spiritual sister, Jen Stone. Uh, tell us what makes Jen so great. Jen is like this little rolling force of creativity. And it's like everything she touches turns to art. <laughs> it's like she sees the world through art colored glasses. <laughs> and so, and she helps you to see that too, when you're with her. And it's amazing. Like, did you guys talk about her stones, her rocks, her pebble collection, her pebble collection? Uh, I believe I mentioned it. Yes. <laughs> They're rocks. And she has made them into something beautiful and special. Not that rocks aren't beautiful and special. I love them, but you know, she has made it's it's become art and everything it's like everything in her life is like that like her, her home she's created this beautiful beautiful farm upstate and but it's so cozy and warm and friendly and um just everything about her is like that so it's like she pulls you into that creativity and it's such a good feeling I think, I mean, need anything else be said here? She's also just cool. <laughs> and she's like the cool girl and you just like, kind of want to hang out with her. You know, she's <laughs> that's all I got. I mean, I love her. She's great. We love you, Jen. We love you, Jen. Thank you, Joey. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Duff. Okay. So there you have it. Uh, so to finish up today, I, uh, I, it's not Oriabindo again. It is my latest obsession. A gentleman named Sri Sadguru Siddharameshwar Maharaj, who was the guru of my friend Nisargadatta Maharaj, who wrote the book, I Am That. Uh... popular spiritual books of the 20th century called I Am That. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, But his guru named Maharaj wrote this, and I just wanted to read it because it, it gets me, it makes me feel good. And his, the whole point is, if you start, if you stop chasing your desires, which are basically theoretical things that you want, and if you stop chasing your attachments, meaning I need that thing, even if that thing is not for you, if you can start to sort of sit in the center of your existence and experience it as such, instead of wishing it were otherwise, then everything gets amazing. So here he is. He says, when one gives up the attachments of affection and possessions, all diseases and calamities run away. The ties of affection and the sense of belonging are the thorns of life. With self-knowledge, these thorns of falsehood begin burning. The python of enticement is incinerated. Even the death that is time, which means the advancing of moments, starts burning and gets burned down. The tiger of egoism cannot find anywhere to run away. The force of the fire of knowledge is very flammable. 
it burns down everything in the illusion and then itself becomes extinguished after it exhausts its own burning power. Such is the greatness of the fire of knowledge. You see any rainbows in there? <laughs> right. So here's the point, people. Uh, there's rainbows everywhere. All you got to do is pay attention. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Jen Stone, for bringing your beautiful heart to our show. And we'll be back with you next week. Bye-bye. At the present moment, traveling town to town, the mystery of the motion right here, right now. been listening to How to Tickle Yourself with your hosts, Duff McDonald and Matt McButter. You can help us by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with others. You can talk to us and see what else is happening on Instagram and Facebook at How to Tickle Yourself. This program was recorded in Studio B of the historic Rockledge Recording Studio and the Tunnel Under Arundel. Right here, right now, our original 16-part theme music was written and recorded by the legendary Paul Reddick and Kyle Ferguson of The Sidemen with the brilliant Steve Mariner on bass and drums and in the mixing room. The podcast is produced and distributed by Storic Media. Our editor is Andrew Steiner. Our coordinator is Samantha Abramovitz. Our producers are Kristen Verbitsky and Chuck LaBella. For more information, visit storicmedia.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-C media.com. My love, my dear.